Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Landis got just right. got on the ice. So yep. we'll Okay. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna move to somewhere where it's quieter and we can get going. Awesome. All right. Welcome in to another episode of DNVR Avalanche at the Rink. Megan Angley in studio today, Jesse Montano at Family Sports Center. What's going on over there? Yeah, uh, you know, nothing nothing too crazy. Just Gabe Landeskog getting on the ice for the first time in like four months. Um, yeah, no, he uh, there's a nice little crowd out here waiting to see him. Uh, he got on the ice. He's done a couple laps, uh, but I wanted to get this started. So looks like really, really light work. Um, I mean, really, they put out five pucks for him, maybe, maybe seven. Uh, and, and the video I'm just now uh, tweeting out, um, pretty gingerly skating, <laughs> moving, moving pretty slow, um, pretty, you know, taking it easy, but Hey, um, look, it's, it's encouraging to see him back on the ice. I saw him on the ice. I think it was, it was back before Christmas. So I think late November maybe. Uh, and I mean, he was pretty much standing still on skates. You know what I mean? Like, uh, just, I think he just wanted to put his gear on. This is significantly more than that. Um, a few months ago, Looks like he's still several weeks away, uh, but the fact that he's on the ice in general is uh, huge. What have you heard about what he's been doing with his time away too? Were you led to believe that he has been doing some kind of rehabilitation of his own, even if away from the rink that we haven't been able to see? Yep. So my understanding is actually that he uh, was in Toronto, Megan, uh, really going back to about December, that was what I had heard. I don't know if he was there, obviously, the entire time. Uh, right. But I had heard that he was in Toronto. He was rehabbing the injury, skating on his own. Uh, there was the photo that we saw of him, uh, I believe it was in Philadelphia, uh, at the same rehab facility that Bowen Byram was at. Uh, but yes, my understanding has been that this whole time he has been uh, away from the team, out of the state, out of the country, uh, but doing his own rehab work. Uh, and just working to get back to the point where he's at now. And now it's just that he's close enough. They feel like they can bring him back, have him around the team, uh, you know, things like that. So, yes, I don't think this is the first time that he's actually skated uh, in all those months, but this is definitely the first time we've seen him at uh, the Avalanche facilities. Uh, he just got back into town a couple of days ago. We saw him uh, after the game last night uh, walking around with his family and things like that. So, uh it feels like this is the first real significant step towards him coming back. That is, I know we'll do the first half of the show 
going over some trade deadline stuff, but we mm-hmm. could probably talk a little bit about the segment involving health just because it has felt like this Avalanche team has looked so much more balanced with just the return of Josh Manson and Bo Byram. Yes. But this has to be something of a turning point, just how balanced they've already looked and their ability to win games, even in the absence of Kale McCarr, just having some pieces return back to the lineup. This just mm-hmm. continues to move in the direction of the team returning to health. What do you think just having Landeskog back around the team means for this group? I, I think it's huge. Um, uh, you know, I, I think we maybe underestimate the impact that Gabe Landeskog actually has on this group, um, not just on the ice. Taking the ice tomorrow for the first time, how just exciting it's after the team to have him back in Denver and also potentially close to Yeah, I just love having that guy around and seeing that guy. Um, we've missed him on the ice and in the locker room, and away from the rink, everything. I mean, he's just a great, great guy and great leader. So, um, you know, whenever he's ready to go, we'll obviously be happy to have him back and it's good to see him hopefully getting better. Is he maybe the team's biggest cheerleader when he's around in any capacity? I mean, I think everyone when they're not playing is, is like that. We have such a cool that everyone wants to win whether you're in or out of the lineup. So, but I mean, he's one of the best leaders, if not the best I've been around. So, yeah, he's right up there towards the top. Yeah, it'll be nice to have him around. You know, I think all the guys are excited to see him. I was excited. The coaches were excited. And guys will see him. You know, they wouldn't have. Um, we, we were here early this morning. He was around. So got a chance to talk to him. And, and the guys will be happy that he's back and, and working towards a return. How much of a jolt does that give to the room to have him back there? It's hard to say. You know, I think it's, it, but it's helpful. You know, it's another, it's a set of eyes. One of their peers, a guy that everyone respects, will be watching the games and can share his thoughts. He's been doing it, you know, from a distance, but now to be able to be in the room and, and come in and talk to guys and, um, you know, on practice days, game days, even, you know, in the mornings, or, you know, he'll, he'll have some good insight for him because he's watching our team and he's going to draw his own conclusions as to what he's seeing. Is there any kind of timeline? <laughs> no timeline. I'm sure he's happy to be back, too, you know, from talking with him this morning. You know, like re- rehabbing an injury long term is it's brutal, <laughs> you know. It's... Uh, it's disheartening, you know, it's two steps forward, one step back all the time. N- nothing ever seems to heal and you don't feel as good as you should, as quick as you should. Um, so it can it can be draining, tiring, uh, I think, to get back around the guys. And if he's making progress where he can get on the ice here uh, soon and and um, start moving it forward, I'm sure he's going he's gonna to feel good about it. So- Megan, yeah, I think it's a I think it's a great question because we started hearing some of that last night um, from the team just in terms of it's going to be so great to have him around. And the one that struck me was it was JT Comfer talking. You know, I don't know if he even mentioned his impact on the ice, but just what an awesome guy he is. We love having him around. We've missed him. Uh, Jared Bednar mentioned. You know, we've been we're all so excited. I was excited to see him. Joe Sakic was excited to see him. Like. This is a guy who really, really is that just emotional heartbeat of the team. Uh, and, you know, Megan, you and I have talked about it on this show before about Nathan McKinnon last year saying, you know, right after Gabe Landeskog gets the deal done and people were asking Nate, hey, were you thinking you're going to have to step in as captain? And he was like, didn't want it. 
like no interest in that. He's the captain. He's our leader. Um, and Jared Bednar has talked to you and me about that this year, Megan, that they're missing that kind of buffer between the coach and the team. And that's Gabe Landeskog. He's the one that can take what the team is saying and feeling and communicate it to the coaches. And he can take what the coaches are needing communicated and, and bottle it up and, and, and deliver that message in a, in a very palatable way, in a way that he knows is going to be received well by the team. Uh, and I just think he is the bridge to all of this buy-in. And, and I think, look, I don't want to get too carried away with this here, but I think that game last night, I, I, you know, I, again, I, like I said, I don't want to get too carried away. I don't want to be too dramatic, but like, it's just too much of a coincidence to me that Joe, or excuse me, Gabe Landeskog gets back into town. He's around the team. Uh, Jerry Bednar said he was around the group before the game. Uh, you know, he's around in the locker room, things like that. And that happens to be what I thought was maybe the first game all year that looked and felt like a game from last season where they don't have it, they don't have their best legs, and they find a way to scratch and claw out a comeback win um, that you know felt very similar to game four of the Western Conference final last year. I just think that he's got an impact on this team and, and, and like I said, emotionally. Um, and mentally, I think, is where he makes his biggest impacts. And obviously, he's a bona fide top-line uh, winger, no questions asked. Um, but like I said, I just, without being too dramatic, I, I don't think it's that much of a coincidence that Gabe Landeskog's back in town. He's around the team. He's in the locker room before the game, uh, things like that. And suddenly, this team has a game where they pull off this amazing you know, comeback and emotional win and all of that stuff. Um, to me, the parallels are pretty easy to draw. I think this is something we'll circle back to because there's a segment that talks about this team's identity and trying to find shades of last year's team that seem to be emerging. There has been a changing of tides, I think, starting with the Minnesota game where you're starting to see glimpses of last year's team. And Jared Bednar talked about this and he pointed to how so much of last year, their internal motivation was skyrocketing that a lot of it wasn't even coach driven at that point. And I have to believe that a connector like a Gabriel Landeskog at the helm is a big piece in getting guys motivated that way that Bednar really had a hands-off approach, I'm sure in many ways in getting last year's team up for games. And I think Landeskog, you could probably point to being a huge part of that. But sticking on the injury front for just oh, did you have something you wanted to add? Well, well no, I, I was just I was just gonna agree with what you said because Jared Bednar has, has talked to us about that, Megan. That there were so many times last year and even this year, still to an extent, I'm sure, where you know we'd ask him like, "Ooh, what did you say there in the intermission that changed everything?" And he'd be like, "I didn't have to say anything. These guys, they know." And I, I'm just I just wanted to make sure I got that in. That I fully agree with you. I think there's a, is a large portion of that 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 is Gabe Landeskog that. Jared Bednar knows. I don't have to. I don't have to go in there and say anything. I, I got the leaders in there that are going to do that for me, and I think Gabe Landeskog is a, a massive part of that. It's it's an interesting call out too because with his voice not in the room as much this season, other leadership voices have had a big influence on this team's ability to find different ways to win. But looking at the injury specifically. I want to know your take on the timeline it took for both a Byram and a Manson to return, because I know this was a point of frustration for a lot of people that these timelines didn't even come close to what was initially projected. Because 
I want to know if it holds any weight in your eyes that though these timelines were significantly longer, both these players have come back and seem to be playing at 100% just in terms of usage. They're not being kept on a short leash. They are getting to yep. eat up very similar amounts of ice time as they once were. Do you attribute some of the longer timeline to the ability to have these players return and go back to playing close to 100%? Yep, and that's uh, a, a phenomenal call out, Megan. Um, really is. And, and I, I take it back to the conversation that I had with Kale McCarr a couple weeks ago. And I asked him, I said, it seems like you always take a little bit of extra time, uh, you know, make sure you're coming back from that injury at 100%, uh, you know, take the extra game, take the extra day, whatever it is. And he really kind of said, you know, he's like, well, yeah, that, but that's not really a me thing. That's something that we like to focus on doing. And I think maybe some of that philosophy can be traced back to last year where, you know, I just think they, they took the emphasis off finishing first, you know what I mean? Or, or finishing wherever, obviously they ran away with the Western conference, but that had nothing to do with them selling out to get first. Um, I, I just think that they really kind of just learned that lesson that, Hey, we think we have a good enough group. We think we're deep enough. We think our systems are strong enough that, you know, if we have to get by on a game or two without a guy, that's fine. We would rather get, you know, in this situation, Bowen Byram back at 105% rather than getting him into a game at 90% right before the all-star break, just to get him into the game and risk anything, you know, <laughs> anything that takes you from 90% and forces you to have a setback to 50%. And then you're starting this process all over again. And I, I think some of that stems from just the lessons that they learned in those couple playoff runs before last year where, you know, Jared Bednar alluded to it to, you know, us just the other day, Megan, that they had games, they had playoff games, you know, not all that long ago where they're having to go in with a lot of American League players. And so I think they said, we're not messing around with this. We're not bringing guys back that are 50-50, uh, you know, unless we have to, unless obviously it's the playoffs, uh, you know, cup final, things like that. But during the regular season, no, we want these guys back at 100% because it's exactly what you just said. We want them coming in at 100%. They, they're, they're not as good to us at 80%, 75%. Some could make the argument that that's what we're seeing right now with Val Nichushkin. Um, you know, that, that he's not quite at 100%. And, and I think maybe some of that is necessity that they've just been so depleted with the injuries, especially up front, you know, over the last couple of weeks that maybe if you're at full health, Val Nachushkin is sitting. Uh, but again, I, I, I don't think it's that hard to look around the league and say, it's clear when a player isn't playing 100%. And I just think the abs have said, have said we're not doing that. And, and you know, uh, Bednar talked about that with, I mentioned it a minute ago with Byram. He said that he probably could have come back before the all-star break, but they said, what's the point? Why not just give him the extra week, make sure he's over a hundred percent. And now he can jump right back in kind of a rough game for him yesterday, but Megan, he's been fantastic since he came back, uh, Bo. And I think that's because exactly what you called out. They waited, they gave him the extra day. I think it's important to note too that both Manson and Byram, though being utilized, 
very similar to how they once were before, haven't looked 100% every second of the game. And it's not sure. also without mentioning that Manson didn't play in the first game, the St. Louis game, so he could play yeah. in the Minnesota, or sorry, <laughs> the Edmonton yeah. game because it's a oh, precaution. Yeah. Edmonton, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's been a couple of interesting victories, though, that the Avs have strung together a number of different ways. But <laughs> it, it's an important call out because. It's not to say that people can't be frustrated by the inaccuracies with the timetables for return. It has been something that of concern to media because we don't know how to better report on it. We can only tell you the information that we've been given. And there are things that happen in rehabbing an injury that are unpredictable, like with Byram not initially responding to treatment. That's frustrating, but there isn't a lot that can be done until he begins to respond to treatment. And that's going to shape the timeline in a way that's out of a lot of people's hands. But it does seem like there are a lot of lessons that have been learned in Helm and his off-season recovery. Nichushkin also not quite at 100%, still being just a little bit of discomfort at times. And then Landeskog being the biggest one and probably something you could point to that drives a lot of this with Manson and with Byram. And I think the precautions that they're taking, even with Cam uh, McCarr, I know we yeah. want to have more of an update of what's going on there. And the nature of a concussion is also difficult to predict. But it does seem like it doesn't immediately point to the most serious of conclusions because he doesn't play in the Edmonton game. It points mm-hmm. to this overarching theme of a team trying to be very cautious of its players and ensuring that they're truly at 100%. Yeah. And I wanted to mention the Manson thing or, or come circle back to the Manson thing, I guess, because I thought that was really interesting how they said that that was part of the treatment plan for him was we don't want him playing in these back to backs right away. Um, I, just not something that I feel like we would typically see, uh, you know, at the NHL level. It's it's normally, well, hey, get back in there and yeah, get back right into the swing of things. And I feel like that's maybe where you do see a lot of these injuries um, kind of recrop up. And so I just thought that was really, um, yeah, an, an, an interesting way for them to handle that kind of non-traditionally. Um, and then Kale McCart, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I just think it's kind of relevant. And I wanted to ask your opinion. How did you feel about them putting him back in the game uh, against St. Louis for the last, whatever that was, four or five minutes? It was a tough one because Mm -hmm. we all saw the collision. We saw that it was a pretty powerful collision. And Mm -hmm. we have such close proximity to the Pittsburgh game that even if he cleared concussion protocols in that moment, because he woke up after the Pittsburgh game not feeling too well, I didn't see the harm in keeping him out of the rest of that game. But it's, it's easy to say that in hindsight from the comfort of this armchair. And I said in the post-game show from the St. Louis game that I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't play in Edmonton. I wouldn't be immediately alarmed. I think they're going to be really cautious. But I am a little... I didn't want to be right about that, though, either. That suggests that he probably didn't wake up feeling at 100% in that case. But it's it's really tough. Bednar had a weird answer last night when uh, I believe it was Peter Baugh um, asked him is it head related is it concussion related and Jared said he said it's not he's not right no no not right now and what I think he was going to say was he's not exhibiting concussion symptoms and so I would right now lean towards I think you're right Megan that 
he probably did feel fine yesterday. We saw him after the game walking, you know, downstairs. He was at the arena, all that stuff. So my guess is he probably was feeling well enough to play yesterday. But I think they just said, we're not, we're, we're not going to do this. We got four days off here, including a full day off today, obviously with the exception of um, Gabe Landeskog. But, um, yeah, I think they said take the day off and let's make sure you don't wake up tomorrow, which would be today, with a headache, feeling foggy, feeling dizzy, feeling whatever. Um, and so great call by you. Uh, but yeah, no, it was just, it was an interesting kind of topic of discussion last night uh, in the press box when it was announced that he was a scratch. Everyone was kind of just having the chatter of, uh, you know, would you have put him back in? What did you think? Da, 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 da. And uh, you were covering at the bar last night. Uh, so yeah, you weren't, you weren't there. So I just wanted to make sure to get your opinion because, uh, yeah, everyone in the press box was talking about it, and we missed your opinion yesterday, Megan. The other thing with that type of collision is separate from concussions, the concern of whiplash, and I feel like yes. that is probably just – and it might not even be severe. It just alongside a concussion could be something that they want to treat with special care. Even Wyatt Amit had whiplash at the beginning of the season, and they, the Eagles kept him out of games even though he was feeling better, he was taking practice pretty much as usual. They were keeping him out of gameplay just a little bit longer as a precaution, and I could see it being something like that. Well, and there's the other thing, too, that I learned a couple of years ago that I've always thought was really interesting um, in that documentary called Ice Guardians. If, if you haven't seen it, it's fascinating. It's about enforcers and fighting and hockey and things like that. Um, but I, I believe it's a neurologist that's on there. Um, talking about what what you're talking about, Megan, how whiplash is a big concern that doesn't get talked about enough, and then that people focus so much on hits to the head in terms of cause of concussions. But they're saying, you know, they were saying in that documentary, and I've, I've done some follow-up research on this, and it's 100% true, you can get a concussion if you get hit clean in the chest, and it has to do with, yeah, the, the whiplash, your head going back. It's anything that causes your your brain to move in your skull and, you know, bounce around or anything like that. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a direct hit to the head. Uh, you know, whiplash can can be a cause of a lot of this stuff. So it's just, it is something to keep in mind when you're talking about head injuries. Um, you know, it doesn't always have to be a brutal shot right to the head to, to cause whiplash or, or something else. So um, just, Megan, you're just on it today. Great call out after great call out. Holy smokes. Another important call out because this came about in the game yesterday from the national broadcast is Eric Johnson's injury and a little bit more of yes. an update on it. Kind of wanted to, I'm sure you may have been able to even ask about it specifically or get more information yesterday being at the arena. But kind of similarly, I think it belongs in this conversation because broken foot, right? Broken ankle. Ankle. Broken ankle. ankle. The timeline for that is probably a little clearer because this is a familiar injury, but because of how close we are to the end of the regular season, do you think this right. is something they treat with a very similar level of caution? Uh, I do. Um, look, they had it on the big board last night as part of like the pregame hype video. We got eight weeks. Yeah, eight weeks till the end of the season, which one, what? Does Isn't that it. crazy? <laughs> I can't believe how fast that's gone. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, the so so yes, I, I think this is something that, and I'm actually looking up broken ankle, just like what the Google timeline is. So six to eight weeks. 
to heal, but it can be longer, is what just the initial Google search says, right? So six weeks, the abs have shown, they like to be cautious. Uh, Eric Johnson's 34. I don't think that it is unreasonable at all to say that this is probably closer to eight to 10 weeks. Someone who's had lower body injury issues in the past. Uh, I mean, we all saw the, saw the amount of pain he was in leaving the ice. Uh, looks like a not very fun injury. Uh, older guy by league standards. <laughs> uh, I just think that the abs are gonna look at this and say, that's an easy LTIR for eight weeks. And I, I don't think the NHL would have any objection to that. Um, it's a legitimate injury. His ankle's broken. We all saw it. We all saw it on TV. Um, you know, and, and so I, I, and maybe this leads into our next conversation. You know, you, you feel for Eric Johnson. You want Eric Johnson to uh, heal up. You hope this isn't a career ender. That's something that a couple people were talking about last night that, gosh, you know, with the injury uh, history that he's got, almost retiring two off seasons ago now, uh, you know, before sticking around and going on the cup run, uh, the question was, will he now ride off into the sunset? Uh, you know, and, and with, his, with his cup ring and retiring, he decided to come back for one more year. This is the last year of his contract. Uh, if, you know, probably ends now the regular season with zero goals. Um, I just, I'm just not sure what the market would be for him outside of Colorado with Colorado's money situation going forward. I, I think if he's coming back here, if the abs are resigning, you're probably talking like a million dollars for a year. Um, so, you know, you hope that isn't the case that, that this is the end of Eric Johnson's career, just cause what a crappy way to go out. Um, but, <laughs> but on the flip side of that, Megan, to me, $6 million of cap space just opened up for the Colorado Avalanche two and a half weeks before the trade deadline. It's, you know? It's an interesting transition into the state of the trade deadline because names have Keep come talking. off the board I'm going to go see if Game's quickly. still out there. Keep talking. Okay, go let me know if, if you see Kale McCarr, yeah. if he's out there too. Ooh, good call, yeah. I can still hear you though, so yeah. Hello, everyone. Now that Jesse's nope. not here, I can talk badly about him. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> still just with gained. the trade... <laughs> okay. Jonathan Taves. The, the news yes. of Jonathan Taves is, is interesting. I know there were people who just still weren't sold on Jonathan Taves' fit culturally in Colorado. People were not completely bought into that. It's no longer even an issue. Horrible right. news, though, that he's still struggling with symptoms of long covid and uh, the chronic amuse response syndrome. Um, yes. But that's just, now we have, there's a Bo Horvat off the board, Terrence Sacco yep. off the board, Ryan O'Reilly, and now Jonathan Taves. Yep. Even just the centerman market was already pretty thin, but it has really dried up in, upon hearing this news. It's, it's interesting business now. What are you thinking? Yeah. Are, are they looking more keenly at someone like Adam Henrique? Do you feel like this isn't the type of decision they would even want to make out of 
born out of this. Like they would rather get exactly yeah. who they think is the right fit mm -hmm. rather than just who is available. Yeah. So it's, it's such an interesting conversation. And like you said, the, the Jonathan Taves thing, um, you really do. I, I feel for Taves because that's, you know, we heard so much over the last couple of years and I'm not going down this road. And, and to be honest, like to an extent I, I did, I understood what people were talking about with like the, you know, putting such an emphasis on, on the COVID protocols. When you're talking about, you know, athletes that are premier physical condition, uh, you, you know, best medical care available, all of that stuff. But this is what it is, right? This is what we always talked about. Um, was all it takes is one person in the NHL to have a really, really bad reaction to this. And you say, see, look, like <laughs> you needed to do this. You needed to follow through on these protocols at the time when we weren't sure what was going on. Obviously, we've got a lot more clarity on it now, two years later, three years later. But what's going on now with Jonathan Taves, who, again, people can not like him. They can, uh, you know, think he's washed up. But like this was at one point a premier uh a premier player in the game and uh you know a, a legitimate star and now that guy is dealing with like you said effects of long COVID, and and it's affecting his immune system and uh in, this is the second time now where he has had to choose to step away from the game because it's it's just had such bad uh, effects on him um so you hope you hope that he's okay because that really is scary uh you know, and it's a, it's a scary reminder for everyone that yeah, you get this once and, you know, even even athletes in, in peak physical condition aren't aren't safe from the long term uh, long long term effects. And uh, like I said, all it takes is one person for, for it to kind of feel a little bit more real. So you feel for Jonathan Taves uh, th that it's affecting him in this way that, you know, he, he's not going to get to keep playing this season. So you hope he's OK, first and foremost. But beyond that, exactly what you just said, Megan, it's gotten really interesting because the center market dried up quickly. We are still about two weeks, 13 days uh, from eh, 15 days. Doesn't matter. We're not very far from the deadline. Uh, and you have multiple weeks and suddenly what you thought were going to be kind of tiered options. You're already kind of into that second batch, maybe save for Timo Meyer and Patrick Kane. Um, you are already on to kind of the B list in terms of what is available uh, out there on the market. I, I think O'Reilly uh, was the big center name. I think Tarasenko was, uh, one of the big forward names, both of those guys are already off the board. Uh, the, the Maple Leafs did what we had kind of talked about last week for the abs. Hey, look, if O'Reilly's your guy, go get him. And talking around, that's kind of like what it sounds like happened. They said, Hey, we don't want to get left at the dance. We don't think Timo Meyer is an option for us. So Kyle Dubas went out and, uh, you know, made his move. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the abs follow suit with something similar here. Um, going out and making a move ahead of the deadline because it's it's just players that would fit what the abs are doing. Those options are they are they're just, they're just disappearing pretty quick. 
If I'm Joe Sackick and Chris McFarland, I, I think I'm turning my attention to just a top six forward. I'm using this LTIR space that Eric Johnson, uh, his injury has just created, and I'm going to go target a forward and then a bottom pairing defenseman. You've now got the room to make both happen. Um, honestly, Megan, if it's me, I'm probably circling back around to Patrick Kane, who they had heavy interest in at last trade deadline. Uh, and, and then again, this past summer, um, I think I'm circling around there and saying, cool, can we just bolster our top six as much as possible? And then between uh, Miko, JT Comfer, and then hopefully once Gabe Landeskog gets back, we can kind of spot duty the center role, maybe even an Evan Rodriguez. Um, but I'm just going to go, you know, target a winger that I've had interest in the past is probably the highest end player still available. And then I'm going to use that little bit of extra money that maybe you didn't think that you had two weeks ago, a week ago, uh, to go target. Uh, um, I don't know. Uh, who's the, who's the guy from Anaheim that, that, uh, Ruto likes. I want to say Hinnestroza, but that doesn't sound right. Is it Adam Henrique? Uh, no, defenseman. But Adam Henrique, I oh. think, is another option. Um, this is so embarrassing that I can't think of it. And I'm now just killing time while I pull up the Ducks roster. Kulikov. Dmitry Kulikov. Wow, that's... I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Um, you know, go add a Kulikov. And then if Henrik, you decide we do want the center, cool, do Henrik. If not, circle back to the guy that you've done a year's worth of homework on. So the interesting part in this, no matter who, who you set on, first part, do you know who Kane would consider going to? We knew he would consider New York as a destination. Ooh. Have we heard either way, Colorado, if it's even in consideration for him? I haven't. I've actually got a couple... Um, texts out there right now just trying to get a pulse um to see if anybody's heard i haven't heard one way or the other it's just hard for me to imagine that he wouldn't if if the abs struck a deal with the blackhawks and went to chicago and, and said hey or excuse me in chicago went to patrick kane and said hey we have a deal in place with the avalanche for you i just have a hard time he would saying be hard time believing he would say no to that you know what i mean why wouldn't you want to go skate on Nathan McKinnon's wing and have a chance at, at, at a cup? Like I said, well, I haven't explicitly heard that. Uh, I have heard that a team like Dallas, uh, he would probably say yes to. So that's just what leads me to believe where it's like, hey, if he's willing to go to Dallas, I'd be willing to bet pretty good money he'd green light a trade to Colorado. But I haven't heard that explicitly anywhere. The other part of it is how the market has been set for, and it's more A-list, but we've seen what Orion O'Reilly is going to cost to a different extent, a Tarasenko, Bo Horvat. Do you think the Avs can afford then, because the market has dried up, I do think that is going to give whoever they're looking to buy from leverage. Do you think that makes it more difficult for this move to be made? And who are they contending with at this point? Like, who are the Avs trying to out-compete in terms of offering? Um, and I'm sorry, I, just, I got a really interesting text. Who, and, and you're talking about Patrick Kane? Yeah, I guess we or can just, keep it specific to him, or honestly, any top six forward. 
Like, who are other teams that are looking for a top six forward that the Avs are going to have to have a better offer than? Okay, yes. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Lee. That's okay. No, <laughs> and, really and it's, guess. well, it's a, it's a complicated question, too, because the other mm-hmm. part of it is not only just who are they trying to contend with, um, but be, because the market value has been set and players like even this morning, Tyler Mott moves. Yeah. It's, it's. It's a high cost. I think that there are going to be teams who are the sellers who recognize the market value has been set for a lot of these top end forwards, and they're going to make that more difficult. The Avs probably do need to move more quickly as a result of that. Right. I completely agree. You know, I made the joke to AJ and Rudo, I think it was when we were getting off the the skills competition uh, live stream that we did. And, you know, we were making the joke about like, hey, the next time we do this will be for trade deadline. And I said, gosh, hopefully it's, you know, it's not disappointing like it has been the last couple of years. I think what we've seen, the, the trend that we've seen in the NHL over the last few seasons is get your business done ahead of time, right? Uh, get your business done, get your guys in here so that you're not, you can maximize the amount of time you have them, right? And I think just what you're seeing already is why. It's, it's we want to make sure we get out ahead of this. We don't want to miss out on our guy. Um, so let's look at this from a little bit of a different angle. Who aren't they competing with anymore? T- uh, Toronto has kind of made their move. The Rangers, while they still technically have a little bit of room, they're running out of assets for this year. How much do you want to hemorrhage in one season um, You know, for potential rentals? I know Tarasenko really seems to like it. They're good, great friends with Panarin. Maybe he does come back. But how many assets do you want to give up at one deadline? You know, um, so while I think they they technically could could still fit a couple of these guys that are out there, I'm really going to kind of remove the Rangers from anything high level um, because I <laughs> I just think that'd be an interesting move to go out and and, and make three sizable deals at at the deadline. So Toronto's probably out. Uh, the Rangers are probably out. Boston made their big move last year, and I would be willing to bet that Boston will make a couple of trades maybe similar to what the Avs did last year, kind of fringe stuff. So I don't think Boston is really, you know, in it um, in terms of like the big fish. Tampa, maybe. So so th- those are your big three that I think you don't really have to worry about it. I think you're worried about you're competing with Dallas. I think you're competing with Vegas. I don't know about Winnipeg just because of the decisions that they they're going to have to make this summer with their own, uh, you know, internal options. And then I think you could be competing with New Jersey. I'm looking at the teams that are saying we think we're close enough and we want to you know push ourselves over the top, um, and that's where I really do look at Dallas. Uh, I really do look at Vegas, especially with the loss of Mark Stone. And then I think New Jersey is believing in themselves enough that they could be in on, you know, a couple of these bigger names. Uh, and then, uh, I'm sorry, I did leave one out. Edmonton's the other. They're in a little bit more of a difficult spot, just money-wise, because of right. what they are, are, are tied to. Um, but I think if they really wanted to, they could find a way to make some stuff work. So... Let's see. Let me just run back to this. We said Dallas, Vegas. Uh, I'll throw Edmonton in there. New Jersey. And then who was the fifth one that I said? 
So I, I guess I can't remember. So, so those four, uh, for sure, are, are the teams that I'm looking at, aside from the ones that have already done stuff, uh, you know, Toronto, New York, Boston. Um, that's what I think is your competition. And more than anything else, I look at a Patrick Kane deal and I say, gosh, does that behoove the abs purely just from keeping Vegas and Dallas from getting I think you know it's an yeah it's an interesting point. I I think New Jersey is one that is also in my list of teams that I think is going to be involved in some move around the deadline. Do you think Pittsburgh? They're like in Edmonton in a salary cap constraint, but I could mm-hmm. see Pittsburgh being among them. Um, but maybe not the hardest for the Avs to compete for a bid with. Yep, I kind of put them in the same. Again, this is just me. I don't, you know, I don't have anything inside information on Pittsburgh. Um, I put them kind of in that same category as what I was just saying, Boston. I think they'll work around the fringes. Um, they're always going to go for it as long as they have Crosby and Malkin. Um, but I just, I just don't know if they are in the big swing window. You know, um, I, I think they're saying, hey, we're, we're fine with our group. Can we add some? Can we add a little bit of punch here and there? Um, you know, to, to, to give us a better, a better shot. But I don't know if you're actually competing too hard with them in terms of the, again, just like the bigger names that, that we're talking about here. And last thing on the deadline, um, do you have any final thoughts for the trade deadline status update? I know we have trade deadline content actually beginning to go out today. Yeah. Oh, is it today? Okay, yeah. I'm pretty uh, sure today's the debut of a lot of the content, so there should be someone coming out today. We got to get it out quick, is because they're, <laughs> they're no. Evaporating. It's it's. I feel so bad that the O'Reilly one was probably such a good video. Yeah, no, it was it was good conversation for sure. Um, <clears throat> honestly, Megan, where, where I'm at with this is I, I do I think they the Avs need to move on this sooner rather than later. I am I am in the camp. I've got I've got kind of two schools of thought here. And I want to get your opinion, and I want to ask you a question about a player that we haven't mentioned, we haven't talked about, nothing, and AJ's going to jump out of a window when he hears me bring it up, but I will ask you about that here in a second. Um, I'm, I'm essentially at two different schools of thought, and I don't care which one they go with, but in my personal opinion, I think the Avs need to take one of these roads. One... You need, you need to decide, do you want this acquisition to be an Arturi Lekkanen type where it's something for beyond this season? Or are you saying we're pushing our chips to the middle to try to repeat in the next three months? I am sticking with what I said preseason. I really like the fit of Jesse Pugliarvi. I just think what he does fits this avalanche identity so well, and that is a guy that I think would bolster your bottom six in the immediate and hopefully bring you some top six returns long-term. That is something that if you are saying, we would like to improve our team beyond this season, that is the move that I would make. If you are saying, we want to try to win a Stanley Cup this year, we want to go back to back, we, want, we had so much fun last summer, we want to do it again, we want to hang another banner. Now, I think it's Patrick Kane, and that is just because this is not you scrambling back to who's left. This was a target at last year's deadline and then a target at the draft and then a target one more time in the summer. You've done your homework on this guy. This is someone that you thought filled a need. And then the conversation shifted when, you know, Alex Newhook didn't 
quite fit into that 2C role. Gabe Landeskog stayed out longer than you thought. The conversation just kind of switched. Look, your, your options have kind of dried up. Go back to what you knew, what you've, what you've scouted, and just go that direction with, with what you think he could bring to your team. And it just adds a different element um, into your top six. So that's, that's where I'm at personally, which almost guarantees they'll do neither of those things. Um, but I'm just, I, I really am, regardless of who you go with, it's either do you want something for beyond this season or are you just wanting the maximum return in the next three months? So the Avs need to pick which road they want to go down and go down it. I'm fine with either. Here's my question to you, Megan. He hasn't had a good season. The rumors have run rampant for years. The, the, the parallels are, it, it's, it's easy to draw the ties. Jonathan Druin. Oh, I hadn't even considered him. Yeah, I, I hadn't either. And, and again, this is more of just a name I'm throwing out there. Montreal is in the throes of a rebuild. They want assets, uh, you know, they want picks, they want prospects. Um, again, he, he hasn't had a great year. He's got 17 assists uh, and zero goals. It's not been a good year uh, for Jonathan Druin. Right. So you're buying extremely Is low. <laughs> What's the, has he struggled with injury? Um, I mean, he's only played 33 games, so he has missed some time. Uh, and, and I mean, he's really struggled with injury over the last few years. It so, looks I mean, like, like, yeah. You're, you're talking about a guy that, you, I mean, you are talking mid-round pick, mid-to-low-level prospect. Um, and, and, and he's just an interesting one. For me, again, because it's so obvious, right? Like, it's so obvious. Despite how his NHL career just hasn't really worked out, it's ju he was just an interesting name that, that, that came... <laughs> I actually saw <laughs> someone had mentioned it uh, on, on Twitter, and, and AJ was like, oh my gosh, this is never going to go away. And I laughed at first, and I was like, well, is it that crazy? to see why there would at least be the interest there or it's like, cool, we'll make this guy a bottom six winger. And who knows, maybe there truly is some magic elixir between him and uh, Nathan McKinnon. Um, but I just, he just jumped off the page to me because it'd be a, the ultimate buy low candidate. It'd probably be a pretty easy sell to bring him back at a, at a much, much, much smaller number. Um, and he just wouldn't cost you. I mean, he cost you next to nothing. Um, I get why people would hate it. I, I just, I'm purely just spitballing here as the market has kind of changed over the last couple of weeks. I don't, I don't hate it. I don't have personal issue with what I've heard of Juan, but the injury maybe is a little bit of a concern if it's recurring. It seems like it's been more consistently upper body, possibly wrist. If our Montreal people can weigh in on what that might be, or if there've been injuries of varying nature, that is actually of lesser concern. But if it is something that persists and gives him grief regularly, season by season, that would be what I'd be curious about and caution, cautionary of. Because 
other than that, I, I wouldn't have any issue with this. Um, this is a player who had the pedigree at one point that I really do believe in the Avs' ability to rehabilitate and give players new life and extract the most out of players. Um, so that would be of less concern, but the injury maybe is what I would pause. Yeah. Yep. I'm with you hundred percent. I really do. I, I think there, I think there is something to Jared Bednar. He's got a way of communicating with guys. He understands what bush, buttons to push, which buttons need to be pushed, uh, things like that. I, I think a guy like Jaren could come here and find some su- success. And, and then again, it's just more than anything else, Megan, I think I just want my like, <laughs> like 10 year, thirst for Druen and McKinnon at the NHL level to, to finally be pinched. Like it's just been, it was so unbelievably dynamic in junior. Um, and, and, you know, there was multiple attempts by the abs under the Patrick wall regime to get Jonathan Druen here. Um, it's been a name that's just been tied uh, to Colorado. Nathan McKinnon has said that they're obviously still very good friends. Um, and so it's, it's, I think it's just, one of those things where like in my head, I'm like, just do it. So we can finally all have our answer to this good or bad, just so we can know how it actually, you know, goes, just bring him in here and who cares. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That was just another name that, that came to me that you said, I said, you know, Montreal be willing to give him up. Um, what are they holding on to him for fourth, fifth round pick? Call it good. Without, knowing exactly what the Avs might do. I think you could probably safely say that whatever it is that they do, do they probably have some sort of past connection to, past interest, whether it be a former teammate of Nathan McKinnon or just a guy that they were interested in the past. In the same way that Arturi Lekkonen came to fruition in Colorado as someone that they had once eyed before that, I think you could safely place some bets there at least, that there's going to be some kind of connection to whoever they settle on. It's not someone that they probably freshly targeted just this year and likely someone with a level of familiarity. Yeah, that's what the Avs have a track record of, of doing, right? You can trace it back several different guys across a, a decade at this point, at least the entire uh, tenure of the Joe Sackick regime. They like to pursue players that they are comfortable with, that they feel like they know, that they don't feel like it's a huge risk because we feel very comfortable in what we're doing. Um, yeah, they like to circle back around. And, and really, how can you argue with the results, right? <laughs> it seems like every guy that they've circled back around to, Josh Manson has been uh, a player they had been tied to before they acquired him. Obviously, you just mentioned Arturi Lekkanen. Um, it, it's, it's hard to say when the Avs finally get their guy, it's not for good reason, you know? And looking at Manson, too, it's why, honestly, I think of Adam Henrique because of the position Anaheim is in. They have not always had the best track record with moving players. Like Manson probably could have gone one deadline before he did. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there are regrets that Anaheim has that they're trying to get in front of this deadline that I'm sure they'll want to get value for Henrik if they can. And instead of resting on their laurels a bit too much, I think that has drawn ire within the Anaheim fan base. So that's one reason I link Henrik to the Avs just because of the position Anaheim's in. Just do Henrik and Shattenkirk. <laughs> Aw, see, and they would have past connections, so it would be very real and true. Bring in Shattenkirk to replace Eric Johnson, and it's like the ultimate full circle moment. I, I think if this happens, 
<laughs> something weird. I'm good because like I'm not putting my backing behind this at all. But if that happens, no. <laughs> we're gonna feel really, really great about this. So we all right. So we yeah. are at we are at an impasse though. We have a problem. Uh-oh. We have to end the show <laughs> like in a couple <laughs> minutes. But we yep. have two entire topics that we did not get to yet. So we might just have to revisit the the team identity here from Jared Bednar. Yeah. And roped into that is the death contributions and the way in which the Avs lineup, mm. players returning, starts to look more balanced. Some of the depth players are beginning to contribute more. Player trends is something we talk about in this week's At The Ring piece that I don't want to neglect because that's going to shape deadline conversation and who right, the Avs target right. based upon how the Avs are playing right now, where they are getting offense. It's it's all a part of the plot. So yeah. we might just have to circle back to it. Is there anything you want to add, though, before we have to sign up for this apparently part one? I was going to say, we're heading on like three weeks. And maybe we just need to add a second show. now. I think we just need like, to schedule this with yeah. a lot of time at, at each end. <laughs> maybe, and maybe we just need to take this to a Monday, Friday. We'll put that to a poll, maybe. Uh, and we'll see if there's a, there's a hunger for this two days a week. Because, yeah, Megan, you and I just can't help ourselves but to... <laughs> talk for a long time on every topic because I think it's the, it's the, you know, the amount of time that each of these topics deserve. Um, no, I don't have any final thoughts, but um, the abs don't play again until Friday. So we have some days off here, you know, days off game days off. Um, they'll be at practice tomorrow. And yeah, Megan, let's, let's plan. We'll get another one of these uh, put out this week, just kind of circling back because I do think that that is important and it all goes, it all that's what's so fun about this time of year. Everything that you just mentioned that we didn't get to, everything that we did get to, it all goes hand in hand. It all goes together uh, of, of how this all works and, and how the abs and, and not just the abs, but all NHL teams are, you know, barreling towards a trade deadline. So, um, yeah, no, no final thoughts from me because we'll have, we'll have more, more content this week where I'll get all those thoughts in. That sounds wonderful. And to everyone watching, my apologies again. <laughs> we just can't help ourselves. But you know, it's Gabriel Landeskog Day. Like, it is also a it holiday. Happy President's Day, but also happy Gabriel Landeskog Day, happy, our president. Happy, happy Captain's Day. Yeah. How about that? We'll just change the I feel like we might have to edit that out. I'm just... <laughs> All right. DNVR Avalanche at the Ring Podcast. Megan Angley, Jesse Montano. We will absolutely be back. I'm so sorry that we did this again. <laughs> You know, if you haven't checked out What Chaos yet, you ought to, because we've had all your favorite players on the show. I'm talking Seth Jones, Lena Solmar, Connor Bedard, whoever it may be. We're live every day on YouTube at noon Eastern, but also available on all podcast platforms, including the one you're listening to right now. We got guests, and yeah, we're also doing a bit of chit-chat, goofing around, laughing at what makes us laugh in hockey. So regardless of how deep you are into your hockey fandom... Come listen to What Chaos. We'll talk about your favorite team. We'll talk about your least favorite team and everybody in between. And we're having a ton of fun doing it every single day, Monday through Thursday. It's What Chaos, presented by All City Network.